Many, many years ago, when I was 19, 20 years old, maybe a little bit older, maybe 22 years old, um, I was talking with a counselor. And the counselor said to me, you know what your problem is, Bob? And I said, no, what is my problem? He said, your problem is you're too honest. You have the the challenge of always wanting to to never sugarcoat anything and never hide anything, so you give too much information, and then that gets you in trouble. I said, okay, and I have I have taken those words to heart through the years, and I have tried to be very careful. And as as I came into the pastorate. 17 years ago, I learned also while I was in Bible college, but then in the early years of my ministry, that I needed to be wise in what I do share that's personal and what I don't share. And I have told you this in the past, but just I'm giving you information as a basis for what I'm about to talk about. Um, Early in my ministry, I arrived here in Labor Day weekend of 2003, and in like January, February of 2004, God very clearly told me he wanted me to tell my story. And I was like, hmm? <laughs> I don't feel safe doing that, God. He said, no, I want you to tell me, tell your story during your sermon this coming Sunday. And I prayed about it long and hard that week because it was my intent with all of the understanding about not being too transparent or being too honest or sharing too much, not wanting any focus to be on me, but all to be on God. So I'm careful when I tell my story, but God very clearly told me to tell my story. And and my story at that time, it's still my story, but the the story that God had me share that week was the fact that um, when I was eight, nine, and ten years old, I had been sexually molested by a 16-year-old guy who lived across the street. And it totally messed me up for a long time. Now, I did not feel comfortable sharing that. And I, I shared how God had brought healing and had got, had da-da-da-da. You know, my sermon went on. And, and I felt released that I had done what I was supposed to do. Um, and by Tuesday of that week, two members of this congregation, you don't need to know who they were, but two members of this congregation came up to me privately and said, number one, thank you for sharing. Number two, can we talk? And in both of those cases, they privately shared with me their pain from their own abuse that had happened 40 and 50 years earlier. And the end result was God was able to bring healing. And so when God tells me to share my story, it is not because I'm trying to look And be sick about it. You know, everyone look at me, look at me. It's because I feel God is saying it's important that you share your story because someone needs to hear it. I tell you all of that because I have to share a little bit of my story this week. And believe me, it's not comfortable for me. And that's what I said earlier in the service that I've been a lot of distractions, a lot of distractions trying to keep me from focusing on God this morning. But I am fully convinced, fully convinced that I'm walking in what God has told me to do. So for better, for worse, I'm going to share my story. And then I have a scripture that I'm going to share. And then we're going to pray and have communion. And God's going to send us all home. And we're going to have a wonderful week in him. And if nobody 
gets anything out of it other than me, cool. But if God does want to speak to you, I encourage you to not focus on this, on the words that I say. Focus on what God is saying to you. Okay? Um, January of this year, I had to go down to um, Anchorage. Actually, I had to go down to Camp Maranatha for a series of meetings. Um, And Renee and I flew down to Anchorage that week because I didn't want to drive the Parks Highway in the first part of of January. I just didn't. And um, we had to be in and out of Anchorage for medical appointments, plus we also had to be at Camp Maranatha for training, and I had to be there for business meetings at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week. Anyway, then we flew home on Friday. It had been a long, long week. And then uh, Saturday, trying to get ready for church and finally get through church. And then Monday, uh, I don't remember what the date was. I think it was the 12th, might have been the 13th. I don't remember now. I think it was the 13th of January. Um, I sat down at my private quiet time at my little desk in my room and I prayed and uh, read the scriptures and then I opened up my journal and I started journaling. I don't journal every day. I journal every so often. It's whenever the mood strikes and whenever I need to. And I journaled that day. And, and I had actually forgotten that I had journaled that day until just a week ago, tomorrow. It would have been this past Monday. I opened up my journal and read that entry from the 13th of January and went, Wow! Now I have a lot of understanding. Because what I wrote in that journal entry at the very end of the journal entry, it was pages long, but at the very end of that journal entry I said, God, I am physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. And I need some respite. This has been a hard week. (sighs) To God be the glory. That was Monday. Tuesday, I get a phone call that my world crashed. My family's in crisis. Wednesday, or Tuesday afternoon, we're making arrangements for my wife to fly. The earliest we could get her out that was reasonable in price was Thursday morning. My wife flew out on an open-ended ticket because we didn't know how long the need was going to be for her to be there. As it turned out, she was there for three weeks. This congregation was incredible in the way that they loved on me and supported me and cared for me. And I have written notes to the various people that needed to be thanked, and you've received those already. If you haven't, then something's wrong because I handed them to you. Um, But the reality is... I got my feet knocked out from underneath me on Tuesday the 14th of January this year. And I went into the deepest, darkest place that I have been in years. I literally couldn't get myself dressed in the, in the, I spent the bulk of my days wearing my pajamas with a clicker in my hand streaming Netflix for 8 to 12 to 15 hours a day. 
The only time I did anything ministry was related, related was when I absolutely had no choice but to do it. That was the only way I could motivate myself. Now, it wasn't because I was choosing to. I wasn't being belligerent and saying, I'm not doing anything. I couldn't. There was nothing to give. Well, then my wife came back a week ago, week and a half ago. I don't remember the date anymore. And yay, it's all good. Yay, Renee's home. Yay. No, it wasn't. We, I mean, nothing wrong with us. Household's great. I mean, people were teasing me. So, do you have a lot of dishes to wash before she came home? I was like, no. I wash dishes every time I use them. Thank you very much. Because I know myself. <laughs> I let dishes sit for six months once. So, I know, don't laugh. It's true. <laughs> so, I was intentional about when I did it, when I, made, when I cooked, I made sure that I cleaned up immediately afterwards. I put everything away. And the reason I did that was because I didn't want to forget where it was supposed to go. Because I don't know how Renee keeps her kitchen. I know where some things go regularly, but I didn't know where everything went. Things that I didn't know because she hadn't put them away before she left. They were just in the dish rack. I put them on a desk in her room because I didn't know what to do with them. Rather than have them out cluttering the counter, I made the counter look pretty and it all went into her back in her bedroom. And she, she could deal with it when she got home. Um, but the reality was she came home and, and it, everything was supposed to be good, but it wasn't good. I still was struggling. I was still bleh. And through all of that, I realized part of it, and again, reading my journal and going, well, there you go. You were physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually drained. And the enemy came up and knocked your feet out from underneath you, which just threw you on your back and knocked all the air out of your chest. And you couldn't get your breath. And then you were left alone. That's such a good place to be. Such a good place to be. I was forced to be in people's homes because they invited me to their houses for dinner. <sighs> Believe me, and I, I say this to you publicly, I'm looking at you, but I'm not going to use your name because this is being recorded. I was so thankful when you handed me food to take home because I didn't have it in me to be nice that night. I didn't have it in me to sit for an hour and go, Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to your home. I just didn't have it. And I was dreading driving down the driveway to your house. I really was. I was like, God, I, I don't want to make nice. I want to be genuine, but I can't be genuine right now. And they said, no, 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 no. He would take this with you. And I went, So my point in, all, in saying all of this is this. I went into a very deep and dark place and you guys loved on me and cared for me and, and took care of me and God loved on me and took care of me and, and, prepared, and prepared the paths for me and made sure things happened. Um, but the reality is, um, even as a Christian, even as a Christian, someone who's loved Jesus for 40 plus years, it's possible to go into a dark place. It's possible to have your feet knocked out from underneath you that is not of your own doing. It's possible to have absolutely no 
ability to crawl out of that dark place and to just lay there helpless. And the reality is, and I'm getting ahead of myself in what I want to say, but let me just say this now and I'll come back to it in a minute. The reality is, the enemy tries to whisper to you that you are dirt. If you were such a good Christian, if you were so faithful and knew the word of God and had the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be laying there struggling to breathe. Because that's not what Christians do. Christians walk in authority. Christians walk in power. Christians have their, their, they are free. They have the presence of God with them. And frankly, I usually am that way. <laughs> but for the month, pretty much of January, I didn't have anything to give. And there were times that I had to give because people contacted me and said, Pastor, can you blah, blah, blah. Sure, I'll be there. I'll come. I'll be glad to minister to you, though I have absolutely nothing to offer you at this moment. And I just walked into those roles. And there were times that I failed miserably. I mean, I'll flat out. I won't, again, use the name, but you know who I'm talking about when I tell you that somebody in this community lost their husband less than a month and a half ago. And some that somebody called me multiple times in the month of January. And we played telephone tag. And that was perfectly fine with me. Because I didn't have anything to offer. And last Sunday... That person showed up here. Wow. I felt good interacting face to face with that human being. Felt about this big. Because that person needed the love and care of a pastor. And this pastor didn't have anything to offer. And I've struggled with that this week. And so... As I was praying and saying to God, what do you want me to say to your people this morning? What are your, what do your kids need to hear from you this morning? This was the, these were the words, and I'm pulling out the sing to the Lord hymnal. If you want to open it up, it's hymn number 450. These are the words that came to my mind. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me. All around me is the current of thy love leading onward, leading homeward to my glorious rest above. 
Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, nevermore. How he watches o'er his loved ones. Died to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, watches o'er them from the throne. Wow. (laughs) Not only did Jesus die for me. But in his glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, he is ever making intercession on my behalf. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Love of every love the best. Tis an ocean vast of blessing. Tis a haven sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. And the reason I had you pull this open is I want you to look at the very bottom of this page, page 450. See where it says words at the very, very bottom in the left-hand corner? You see the name of the man who wrote these words. His name was Samuel Trevor Francis. And I love hymn stories. I love hymn stories. And if you go and look this up, you will read that Samuel Trevor, is it Francis? I just closed the book. I didn't look. Samuel Trevor Francis um, had a rough life. Didn't have a lot of stability in his world. He ended up in London as an adolescent. And during his adolescence, one night, I don't know if it was a night, a day, afternoon, I don't know, but he was alone. And he was walking across a bridge. And if you read his biography, it'll tell you the bridge. I don't remember the name of it. That's not important at this point. But he literally was standing on that bridge, looking down into the water, contemplating ending his life. And the thing that kept him from jumping into the water was he became overwhelmed when God interacted with him and said, do you believe in me? Do you believe the truth that you've been taught? That God loved you enough, that God gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe that? And he said, yes, I do. He said, then live it. And it was from that point on that he called that his, his uh, conversion experience. And he began to, to live a life of trying to honor God and love God and serve God and not just give him lip service. And he became prolific in his writing of what have become hymns or just poetry. But this hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, is a direct result of that interaction with God on that bridge in the moments as he was looking at contemplating committing suicide. And God said to me as I was reflecting, because I asked God earlier in this week, Lord, am I supposed to tell my story this week? And he didn't give me an answer. 
It's like, okay, good. That means I don't have to. But then as I was asking him this weekend, what do I preach about? The Lord said, well, this is the weekend of love. It's Valentine's Day. So preach about love. Oh, that's easy, God. What do I preach about? Well, why don't you read to the congregation out of Romans chapter 8? Okay, so let's read out of Romans chapter 8. So I've got mine marked. You go ahead and pull yours out. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Romans chapter 8. I'm starting at verse 31 and reading through to 39. So it's only eight verses or nine verses. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Ha! Huh, that verse. <laughs> Can you tell me? I, you cannot. I cannot express to you how much this week that those words. See, I pray every morning when I pray. I pray the Apostles' Creed. I pray the Nicene Creed. It literally says, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And He will come again with glory. Well, what is He doing while He's seated next to the Father? He is making intercession on our behalf. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 needs to be burned into my brain. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. More than that, he's at the right hand of God and he is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And that verse, 35 and 36, but 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword. And the Lord whispered to me, Bob, in all of that darkness, in all of that pain that you were in, when you were laying on the ground with the air knocked out of you, you're unable to catch your breath, you have no ability to do anything for yourself. My love never left you. I never rejected you. I saw you in the depth of your pain and I was still with you. I was on your side. I was whispering to my father, see him. He needs you desperately. Would you help him? Verse 37. No, <laughs> in all of these things, these bad things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, I didn't feel like I was conquering a whole lot over the month of January. But through him who loves me, I can declare that I don't have to let that destroy me. But even I'm on the other side of the darkness. 
I can see it now. I can say it now. I couldn't say it then. It didn't. It wouldn't come out then. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was reading a commentary about these these verses. And the the commentary said... um, He doesn't specifically say it, but he's talking about the demonic. He's talking about the fact that the dark forces of the, of the, of the, the creation, the enemies of our soul, the ones that are trying to do everything they can to harm God by harming us. That's what he's talking about here. And even in that, none of it, none of it can overwhelm. None of it can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as I reflected on this, and like I said, I'm on the other side of the darkness, so I'm <clears throat> it's a lot easier now. It was not easier going through it. Okay? It wasn't. It took a lot to just continue to press and to slog through day by day, hour by hour. But the one thing that I've had to hear multiple times this week, but especially this morning, like I said, I was sitting right over there, all of this stuff roiling around in my head. I'll tell you, sitting over there, the words being whispered to me were, you know what, if you... Resign and let someone else who's younger has children come. There might be more children in this church. You know, if you'd resign and let somebody who has more physical energy, there would be more teenagers in this church. You know, if you would resign, there would be somebody who could come in and have a much greater ministry and see this church advance. Those were the words that were whispered to me while I'm trying to worship this morning. I recognized where it was coming from, and I had to simply say, I am loved. I am loved. The songs this morning, (laughs) he didn't know what I was preaching, and I didn't know the songs he had chosen, but the songs this morning were incredibly powerful and appropriate to what I was going to be talking about this morning. (laughs) I'm sure there is. So, and then the, the last thing, and this is, this is the thing that is so precious to me. And this is the thing I needed to share with you. I made it through the dark times because of the support of God's people loving on me when I couldn't do for myself. I made it through the dark times because God himself never left me. I made it through the dark times because God the Son whispered to the Father, Be aware of him. Be aware of his needs. He loves you. He can't express it right now because he doesn't have anything to offer. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You need to continue to be for him, with him, through him. The Holy Spirit of God needed to be present. And believe me, believe me, if I had to give you all of the details, 
you would be shocked at how much I've had to deal with over the last month and a half. And I'm not trying to say that so that you'll think, but oh, poor Pastor Bob, he really... No, I'm just telling you, this was, this was probably one of the darkest times of my entire 60 years on this earth. And I truly believe that it was an, an, a demonic attack trying to destroy me. Because it's been a long time since I've had this kind of uh, an attack on my world. I mean, it's just, I was hit from all sides. And it's not going away yet. I mean, my wife will share with you guys later the stuff that's going on. But there's there's some still some crazy stuff. And I'm probably going to have to leave here and go to a funeral in a very short while. Um, but the one thing, the last thing that I needed to share with you, and again, if this is something that God is using to speak to you, own it. If not... Let it go away and just go, well, that was nice. Let's go to lunch. Um, I told you that I've been beating myself up this week because of a person who needed me that I wasn't able to be there for. And the Lord said to me, Bob, when your grandchild, who is in your house almost daily, every week, is constantly badgering and doing things and messing them around and messing things up and breaking things and spilling things. Do you reject him and just cast him out of your life? No, Lord. Then why do you think I would do anything different than you? Yeah, reality? Okay, you messed up. You didn't, you weren't there for the one that needed you. Yeah, get over it. Get over it. You're not the all in, the be all and do all in this community. I have other people that I can call on who will come alongside that person because you're not able to. So don't think you're all that. But the reality is, I still love you even though you messed up royally. And I need you to know that. You need to hear these words from me. You are my precious child. There is nothing that would ever separate you from my love. Nothing. Now, you can choose to walk away from my love. You can choose to go into rebellion against me. But there is never going to come a point, Bob, where if you do or say something in your brokenness, in your hurt, in your sickness, whatever, that I'm going to just say, well, forget that. I'm done with him. It's never going to happen. And you need to recognize and understand that. There is nothing in all of creation, including your own action or inaction, that can separate you from my love, Bob. And you need to own that. And I will tell you, My natural inclination as a human being, my natural thing, is to beat myself up over my failings. My natural thing is to say, I'm a rotten, stinking person, I'm a lousy pastor, I'm fat, I'm old, I'm weak, I no longer have any value. That's my natural inclination. And my Father in Heaven very clearly reminded me this week, number one, you were very, very weak 
when you got knocked down. Number two, you were not alone. I didn't let you be alone. Number three, I didn't reject you because of your brokenness or your weakness or your struggle. And number four, you still have great value to me, Bob, because when my decision is that it's time for you to leave, I'll clearly let you know. But you don't need to second guess. You just need to continue to follow my lead. And last but not least, climb up into my lap and let me hug you because you need that. And so I had to let him just hold me and love me because I didn't feel lovely or lovable and I wanted to continue to say, Bad, stupid, stupid, bad. And I very easily recognize and identify with the writer of that hymn. I can understand standing on a bridge like that and looking out and going, you know, it'd be so easy to just jump. It would be so easy to just stop all this hurt. I'm not saying that I ever got that point. I wasn't. I wasn't in any way suicidal. But I can understand how somebody could get there. And if nothing else, if nothing else, we need to continue to show people that God loves them. Because that will be the sustaining thing through everything. God loves period. And nothing can separate you from his love. Amen.